Welcome to the True Safety Podcast with Apollonia Rockwell, where each week you hear from safety industry experts and leaders discussing safety culture, team development, and the future of the safety industry. If you are looking for help with your safety program or have questions, head to truesafetyservices.com slash podcast. Let's get started. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We are here with John Dunsmore, part two, because if you know anything about John, you just know that he's a wealth of knowledge. And and John, I know you said you're no guru, but you are. You are the guru of training and the future and innovation. And I'm so excited to dive more into the future of training because if you're a safety professional, if you're a leader at a company right now and you're trying to elevate your safety program to the next level, I wanna know from you, John, what do we need to be focused on right now? What are you seeing in your industry as far as where where training is going? Thank you, Apollonia. Um, it, it's interesting to be back. Thank you for uh, taking a second bite at the apple. Yeah. Apollonia, what I see happening is, is COVID, and then we keep coming back to COVID, 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 but the fact of it is that we have learned about capacities that we all have as trainers and teachers and instructors that have been there, but we've never relied on before. And the problems that are arising are coming at a faster pace. They're less able to be uh, anticipated. And because of that, the expectations are growing. So think about this. In the training field, things that now are on the edge, optional, are going to be expected and mandatory soon. Let me give you an example of leadership that that shifts. And I always look at at trainers as leadership roles. I mean, that's what they are really supposed to be doing. Trainers are not, not some outside source. Trainers are supposed to be leading people into more productivity and less exposure to risk and hazards. So, one of my favorite um, examples was a guy named David Marquette, and he was a captain of a of a uh, submarine, U.S. submarine on the West Coast, and he took over the USS Santa Fe, which was the worst operationally and the worst, uh, you know. Uh, it was at the bottom of the barrel and he took it over and the minute he took it over, he took it out to sea and he uh, said, well, we might, you know, we might as well put people through uh, um, their paces to find out what's the submarine. Why is it not doing very well? Mm -hmm. So he, he, um, he takes it out to sea, takes it down a few hundred feet and uh, he and the engineer running it through what they call a scram, meaning they're going to have to shut down the nuclear reactor, go on batteries and the crew has to figure out, what's going wrong mm-hmm. what happened and he he and the engineer set it up so that the the scram occurs it's an it's an emergency and they have about eight hours of battery before things get really unpleasant because when you shut the nuclear reactor down you're on huge batteries underneath the the ship and um i should say boat people don't refer to submarines as ships actually but, <laughs> On the boat, they are. Um, they, people are going about their their list, and everybody, right down to the cook, has a list they're doing of what's what's gone wrong to try and figure out where the fault is within the system. Okay. And he he 
moves around the, the around the boat and sees, you know, the guys are going about their their business, um, but there's not a lot of stress on the object of a training exercise is to place people under realistic stress mm-hmm. so that they respond in a real situation with that movement, that speed, that tempo, and so he says, well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna up the up the spread the stress. We're at about one third speed moving through the water. When you take and move a, a submarine at two-thirds speed, you're doubling the speed and cutting the batteries in half. Okay. Well, that's what he orders. He turns to the, the officer of the deck. Now, he's the only new guy, mm-hmm. 94 men and 11 officers and the new captain. They're all the same people, but the captain's been replaced. And he turns to the officer of the deck and he says, order all ahead two-thirds. And, of course, he gets a now hear this, all ahead two-thirds. Well, the captain's able to observe the young man that's in control, literal control of the, of the ship, and uh, nothing happens. The guy doesn't do anything. So he finally walks over there and says, uh, we just ordered two, uh, all ahead two-thirds, and you hadn't done anything. And the young man says, no, sir, uh, there is no two-thirds on this ship. It, it isn't set up that way. I can't carry out the, uh, the order. Captain goes back over to the officer of the deck and says, did you know that there's no two-thirds on the ship? And he says, yes, sir. And he says, why, why did you, you tell me? order? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he says, Were you told because you ordered me to. And at that moment, David Marquette realizes the problem wasn't with the men. The problem was with the structure of how he was getting people to do things, to push decision-making down to the lowest level to make people responsible for their jobs was what turned the Santa Fe within three years from being the worst in the Pacific fleet to number one three years in a row. Mm-hmm. So pushing the decision-making down is equivalent to us pushing the training down. Oh, my goodness. Giving, does mm-hmm. it make sense? Giving, giving the keys, giving the ownership. Is that is that what I'm hearing you say is passing is. the ownership onto just not a – uh, traditional safety program where there's a safety director and he's the or he or she is the trainer and training and education stops there. We can't afford to be the experts. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So what he did was give that authority, but training and authority. Yeah. You can't do just give authority. You have to give training and authority to the to the people. Now think about this: you're you're out on a on a trenching site. I'm going to use that as my theme just because we've got some trenching videos to look at here in a little bit. Think about it that you're out on a trenching site and one of the workers pulls out a notebook and takes some notes on safety. Mm -hmm. Now, would you admonish that person say, hey, put that away, don't do that? No. No way. But what about the the, the, uh, worker who pulls out his cell phone and starts videoing? Management would most likely go nuts and just, right. yeah. The old, the, the, what was the old thinking is now longer, you know, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't admonish somebody for pulling out a notebook and taking safety notes, but if they pulled out a cell phone, the mental thinking is, oh, they, we don't want that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, let me give you an example of, of what we did do to show how you can translate a, a worker's 
safety intentions into training moments that they, like the, the officers and the men on the submarine, were responsible for. To push the decision-making, to push the safety thinking down to the level where they are actively involved. Mm -hmm. And adults learn best when they're actively involved. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share a screen with you, and I want you to walk through this with me. We did a, <laughs> we did a brief um, video up in Frederick last year. And I think I referred to this in the last time we talked, yeah. but in the video, uh, we did it with a 360 camera, but you could do it with your regular cell phone. And uh, we had the guys make some mistakes while we were doing it. And we were able to play this. Now, now think about this. You're in a classroom and I say to you, pull out your cell phone and I'm going to share this, this, uh, this screen with you. Okay. I'm this student. I'm pulling You're out my student, phone. Right. Hopefully, you see a screen with three uh, QR codes. Yes, I do see that. And by the way, anybody who's watching this can do the same thing. You can aim your cell phone on camera at that le upper left-hand uh, corner of the, the QR code. And when you hit the camera, it'll say, go to the YouTube. So go ahead and do that. All right. So I'm a student in your class. Oh, it did All right, it prompts me to YouTube right now. Rocky American Education Center Trenching Export, and I am 3D or 360. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a 360 view of a trenching site right now. So you can move that around you and look all the way around you, 360, Apollonia. And I'm seeing, okay. Look up at the clouds. You can look at the operator on the, uh, the backhoe. You can look at the men that are walking around in the trench. And you oh can see my them. Goodness. Yeah, you can turn, go, literally turn around. <laughs> I know it's. <laughs> I know, I'm trying. What the heck? John, this is blowing my mind because what I'm seeing in front of me right now is the future of training, period. It is, but the point of this is not just the future of training. It, a, it, what you're seeing is very, very inexpensive. So for any company, even a small company, and say, oh, we can't afford this technology is nonsense. So explain. I know. Well, the, know. the camera itself was less than $200, and it comes with an application, and, and it doesn't come with any controls. You, you actually control the camera with your cell phone. And so if you're a safety trainer, if you're a safety leader at your company right now, I can purchase a camera. And what type of camera is it? Just oh, this, the brand was Rylo, R-Y-L-O. But there's a, there's a bunch on the market. Okay. But they start at a couple of hundred dollars. And um, What type of camera is this that we're this looking This is a 360 for? camera. And as you can hear, it actually records sound as well as recording uh -huh. the video. Yeah, okay. And you can put it on a, a tripod, you can hand hold it, you can put it on a stick, which is what we did. We put it on a on a pole and we're able to walk around the uh, the area. Now I'm gonna quit sharing that since hopefully if anybody has wanted to, they can click on those various, those were just test clips. Yeah, and before I click off of this, let me point out, this is not something that's on YouTube that you could go search. These are okay. private. So if you're if you were working for a company and you wanted to put these kinds of QR codes 
for the uh, for training purposes, they're private. They are not something you can search. They're not going to get into your uh, you know violate company privacy policies. But anybody with the code can get in there and take a look at it. Okay. Now, my intention is to to start out by having the um, by having the the trainer teach the crew captains how to do this and for them to teach their people how to do this we're, we're does that make sense so that so that way boots on the ground is capturing footage and footage that we can use this for training purposes. We can use this for new hire orientation. We could use this for hazard recognition. We could use these clips for um, job specific equipment specific training. And so, okay, yeah, but I want to shift your I want to shift your language for a second. You just said we, <laughs> like in we the trainers. Okay, but they not. the workers, yeah. they the workers should be using these clips to to onboard others because every time we push down the decision-making process oh, I we're see. doing is we're elevating the overall level of training that we're doing because it, it reinforces with the workers that they are responsible for their team members safety absolutely at the end of the day that is that is the goal to be out on site be your brother's keeper be the person looking out making sure and, and raising your hand when something doesn't look right. If somebody is next to you is doing something wrong, doesn't feel right, that you feel safe enough, confident enough, and that you care enough about the person you're working next to to stop them, to pause them. If you've been onboarded by someone like that and you are in turn onboarded people with your own work as a worker, then you do feel safer exercising the authority you have to stop work or at least slow work down. It changes the, the mix. And what's happened with COVID is over a period of a very short period of time, we've shifted the technology to allow us to give it to people. It's inexpensive. We're getting to use it better. And who are we to hoard this technology, right. hoard this attitude? Yeah. So I, I think that we're going to find that it, the expectations are going to change. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be for the good. It's going to be for the good of the company. It's going to be for the good of the workers. Because building that confidence to say, hey, wait a minute, it's, you know, I don't, it's something ain't right here. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing uh, that I was going to mention about it. I talked earlier about the gamification of training. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is part of the gamification of training. Supposing you have multiple teams, because it's not something that just one team needs to do, but they, they embed a mistake, you know, plan a mistake, not that going to harm anybody, but they plan a mistake in one of their little three or five minute video clips. And then you have a training in which they play. Can you figure out what it is? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The game that they can play on their other workers is something that is an adult engagement technique. I whereby, love where you're going with this. Yes. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. If they're engaged with each other, training and and playing games you know literally but we learn a lot out of games i mean that's that's a core of of human understanding and because the technology is now so inexpensive 
to to re relegate a worker to just pulling out a notepad and taking notes is i mean stone age we might as well give them a hammer chisel and a chunk of why is that why do we why do we retain more why do we why is the why is gamification why is it important that safety managers leaders in a company management why is it important that we embrace the future and embrace gamification and technology like this versus the same old, same old training PowerPoint? Well, if <laughs> PowerPoint is just an extension of storytelling and storytelling has suffered because of the printing press. I mean, it starts, it starts with Gutenberg. If you can read it, you don't have to orally say it. And we know though, that at the worker level, talking among people, telling stories to one another, and this is the way young people are onboarded and learn, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is onboarding with that old style technology, with just, you know, uh, this is the way we've already always done it, the problem with that is we perpetuate mistakes in the field. Okay. The young people have things to teach us. Right. And where have you seen companies? So um, the video that you just showed us right now, um, yeah. that was right before COVID. Is that right? Um, yeah. Last year? Yeah. And just so started in February shooting it. <laughs> and all of a sudden... The, yeah, the, the ceiling came crashing down on us. Are there any other techniques that you've been seeing in the training world that you think that companies should start adopting today? So taking videos such as these, so you can have a 360 experience of a job site, taking that to the classroom, taking that amongst um, coworkers, the employees, the workers, they're able to take those video clips and train what are some other tips that you can give to trainers and the workers in the field? I, I, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm working for Red Rocks Community College. I don't represent any company. I don't have any, you know, this is not a sponsored uh, issue. There are a number of companies that offer free training for using these new technologies. And I'm just thinking that any trainers who are not engaged in learning the extent of what we've just shown you are going to be left behind, frankly. Right, right. yeah. Um, if, if it used to cost tens of thousands of dollars to produce even that little bit I did, um, the fact that the cost has come down so much, it's, it's sort of like, you know, if, if the notepad costs $10,000, nobody would carry them. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, paper's cheap and pens are cheap, so everybody could carry one. And because the phones are inexpensive, everybody has those, which makes it personal. Now, think about this. You think of your phone that you carry as a part of you. It's personal. I mean, you if you leave it somewhere, you're like, ah, I got to go yeah. back home and pick up my phone, you know, because it is so in, in, embedded in who you are. Mm -hmm. When safety is embedded on that device, it changes the relationship. Wow. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, you're exactly right. And so embracing technology in the classroom, and you mentioned something earlier, just the whole topic of, of passing that ownership to every single level of the company. Are there any other ways or techniques to do that? Um, how do you get everybody involved in the safety program? What are, 
some advice or some things that you usually you know there's there's safety in numbers so therefore rather than make it an individual process assigning teams to come up with brief i mean three to five minutes you don't need to make you know you know uh, the titanic or something i mean what you need to do is to break it into teams and you'd say well what about the team that's in the warehouse Okay. You're telling me they don't do anything that has potential danger to it that might be of interest to other people, such as mixing chemicals or, you know, the, the, the procedures there. Everybody, no matter where they are, should be responsible for a piece of training. The guy that's out in the field, it won't hurt him to know what goes on in the warehouse. I mean, I I'm just giving you that, that raising the overall level of training responsibility for different little teams mm-hmm. is something that can build cohesion I because love there's, that. there's yep. bragging rights and you know there's no pride in the field <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it competitive in a way oh god yes <laughs> yeah absolutely i could definitely see that right now is yeah the the truck drivers and being able to create something and uh to showcase their craft versus the shop versus the rouseabout versus Absolutely. So, okay. Well, and, and, and drivers can do the same kind of a thing. I mean, and, and, you know, I, I did another one of these uh, videos for uh, the Department of Transportation, CDOT. Okay. And uh, we did it for their training managers and we, we assigned them, we gave them the camera equipment and assigned them to go out in the, um, in the field and in the yard and come back with with and we just gave them a free hand say tell us what the problems are and their opening shot was a picture of a garage we thought okay it's a picture of a garage and then they zoomed in on the left side and the right side and it had been hammered by trucks banging away and you know ripping off their their side lights and stuff like that because people would back them into the garage or drive them to the garage and not be careful and so they, they were able to give some aha moments like watch your mirrors. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's just funny stuff like that. But people who don't usually do that kind of work looked at that and went, oh, I would have never known. Oh, my gosh. This is making my mind spiral because that <laughs> I could just already see exactly what you're saying, the benefit of passing the torch on to the boots on the ground and saying, hey, Capture what you think is important. Hey, show us some hazards in your, everyone's broken up into teams. Show me the top 10 hazards as a driver that you see and show that in the safety meeting, showcase that at the next, you know, next gathering. And so that will show the real um, opportunities of improvement and a company, I think more than a safety director ever could. Well, remember that what I said last time is our competitors, our our competitors for the attention of workers mm-hmm. is not each other. It's YouTube. It's Netflix. It's Prime Video. It's, right. yeah. So right. that's the level that these guys should be able to produce to. Okay. These influencers and to become a safety influencer should be the goal of us. And you said something um, in the beginning of this show is, what was once optional is going to soon be mandatory. And and you're referring to expected. It will be expected. And that's, that's referred to technology and innovation and training, right? I mean, if we don't start adopting these, 
these new uh, ways of learning, then we're going to be left behind. Your workers will be left behind. Apollonia, it's become clear to me in the last year that there are people that are waiting to go back to the classroom. They're, okay. they're just, they're bare, you know, they, they, they can hardly wait to go back and teach in the classroom. Mm-hmm. That ain't happening. Oh my gosh, John, like you're right. <laughs> That's not, I, I don't know about you, but in my meetings, in my, in my personal workload, I don't see an end in, in the near future of when we're going to stop a Zoom meeting over a face-to-face meeting. If the, if, if it's a, you know, a, a class or a seminar in Texas, are we gathering up anytime soon? I mean, I think that there will be gatherings. There, there are obviously gatherings oh, yeah. right now, but prefer- preferably for convenience, it's Zoom for right now. It has shifted everything. And for us to not get ahead of this curve, we're going to get, you know, washed up by the tsunami that's following. So the people that are trainers who say, I can hardly wait to get back to the classroom. Me too. I mean, I've taught in the classroom yeah. for, for, you know, a long time, for decades. Yeah. Yeah. I love the classroom interchange and exchange. And what they were moaning about and, and decrying was you don't have that personal uh, feel. You don't have, uh, you know, it, it, the, the feeling's different. Mm-hmm. The, the connection's different. I agree. It is. Dale Robinson, whom you know very well, has overcome part of that by he uses and he knows the name of every single person in his class on Zoom. Awesome. So he is he is taking that personal connection and pushing it down to the level where he draws out people by name and and converses with them. Now, in a classroom, we usually sit around and say, you know, everybody quit talking, you know, because you're all talking to each other. Uh, Quit talking. Pay attention up here. But what happens in Zoom meetings when we're actually in a classroom is we have chats going on on the side and we encourage people talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Talk to all of us. Put uh, you know, post things that that are relevant to the discussion, rather than just listen to the guru on the stage kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of social realities mm-hmm. are going to be the norm in Zoom meetings. I, to, does that make sense? Yes, I I've been experiencing um, a similar setups in Zoom meetings where I'm in a, a coaching session. And they're breaking us up. I'm a student. So they're breaking us up into smaller groups and forcing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Side chat rooms. And we're forced to, to brainstorm or to discuss a few topping points where it's just three or four of us. So um, versus if we were all in person, it's more of a group. Yeah. So I definitely see that. That But we as trainers need to get ahead of those social curves. Mm -hmm. I agree. And that's where practice comes in. That's where being open to not being the boss, the guru, the trainer, the whatever. And our job is to empower them, to treat workers as leaders, not followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And anything else in in this year, in 2021, what else do you see as far as training goes? So what I hear you saying is that we're going to still be doing a lot of um, a lot of virtual. Is there anything hot topic wise as, as far as safety or training or leadership that really sticks out to you or that you that you're focused on? 
I can't, I can't narrow down too much Apollonia into like just training about trenching or something like that. But I, I would talk about there's a, there's a three element issue that that um, that keeps cropping up, and it's called intent, speed, and tempo. Now, intent, speed, and tempo have in common the idea that you as a trainer have to be clear about your intentions in training. And it's not like I'm just going to train you how to not, you know, dig a trench that's too deep, too wide, and, you know, your spoil pile. If you notice, by the way, in that video, the spoil pile was intentionally a little closer than it was lawfully allowed to be. So, you know, things like that. But the intention has to be not to train the subject. Okay. The intention has to be to transfer responsibility. Okay. We're no longer, or we should no longer just be talking about HASCOM. This is what OSHA says about HASCOM. We should be focused on that. And how do you empower the student to make a difference when they take their knowledge out into the field and train the next person well, let me talk to you about how, how I see it happening, as opposed to right now, our, our, our grant is for a four-hour HASCOM that yes. we're training, Red Rocks is training, a four-hour HASCOM COVID uh, course for yeah, the Susan Harwood. Well, the Susan Harwood grant this year for, well, actually, you know, 2020, 21, going up through September of, of this year, is about how HASCOM relates to COVID. Okay. And the safety precautions and, you know, chemicals and all that sort of stuff. And there are some links between the two. So it's a four-hour class. That's what we're doing. And we have a pre-test, a post-test, all the normal things we've done. But what we're finding is if we relate the training directly to what people are doing, it shifts. Rather than having a four-hour class, have eight 30-minute classes. Now, you can't go under 30 minutes current OSHA standards. But what you could do is assign to different groups to come up with a, with a HASCOM issue, they feel, okay. and have them present it. Okay. So now your, your overall training becomes different groups presenting. I love, love, love that. That is a technique that I learned from you, I don't know, years ago, that I took that technique when I was just starting out in, in my safety profession and it changed the game for me because again, it's safety professionals, safe trainers that, that you're listening. If when you become, um, when you could kick your ego to the door and say, I'm not the expert in everything. You are the expert. You as the students are the trade experts. You have the golden knowledge. Now, let, it's my job as an instructor to pull that out of you. Exactly. To communicate it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's about intent. So changing the trainer's intent from being the guru to being the, the facilitator okay. has to be the prime. Now, next we talk about tempo and speed. And they're really two different things. Tempo and speed refer to how quickly things happen in the field. Okay. Now. Now, our training tempo has to move up. In other words, rather than one four-hour block, mm -hmm. it might be better to have four one-hour blocks. I mean, divide it up any way you wish, but punch, go, absorb, 
cogitate, come back and get a bit more. And you still get the number of training hours in and so forth. But because of Zoom, we can, we can, you know, I can't tell you how many people have been taking our classes that you see them, they're sitting in the cab of their truck. And they're taking the class because we've broken it down so that they can do it in bite-sized chunks. I have a question. I know you're, sure. you are a guru and you are the expert here. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're embarrassing me already. You really are. And what, can you tell me more if, you know, if you're a trainer listening, um, can you tell me more about this micro learning? I feel like yeah. I've been seeing that more and more, whether it's through college classes or seminars, I've just been seeing this as a trend beyond beyond safety training is this micro learning where you're talking about if you're going to teach a four-hour class four-hour hascom class taking that into the field maybe is there are there studies behind the way yes. that adults learn yeah you know instructor gary leitz talks about this a lot he talks about okay. chunking okay. think about how you how you used to memorize somebody's telephone number yeah 10 digits. Mm -hmm. Did you just memorize all 10 digits? Usually what you do is take the first three, 303, mm -hmm. and then you'll take the second three, 619, and the last four, 3277, and I answer the phone because you do are what's called chunking. Adults chunk information. Discrete pieces and parts, they learn it that way. Okay. When you overwhelm them and decide, I want you to memorize pi, 3.1415, you know, when you do that, then they get overwhelmed and, and they shut down. And they shut out. So if I'm in a class, so if a, a normal person is in a class and they're signed up for an eight-hour session, they're most likely checked yeah. out and they're, and if they're, even if they're not on their phone, they're in freaking another land. Right. Thinking about something else. So if, if our goal, back to the word intent, if our intent is to be effective. Right then we have to, to modify our techniques to fit adult learning patterns. Okay, okay. Now, the reason why we have four and eight hour classes is because it's a pain to assemble everybody, come to this address, sit in this seat, because now that we've got you transported in here, and sometimes we've flown, we've had people fly in from all over the country to oh, take right. our courses. Well, you can't say, hey, take half hour today, I'll see you next week. I, you can't do it. But Zoom and WebEx and go to meetings and so forth has changed that dynamic. Right. So the, the cost has come down. And if we don't take advantage of that cost separation to do what the human wants to do anyway, chunking of, of information, then we've missed it. We've missed a turn. So micro learning, as you put it, is key to retention. Okay. Oh my gosh. This is such a huge takeaway for everyone listening. This is something to take away today and start implementing. So, um, so sorry, you said uh, intent. <laughs> okay, intent and speed and tempo. Oh, and tempo. Now, the speed of the workplace has increased. I mean, if we go like any study you want, and I, I love using the oil and gas industry, and if you look at how much, how much output of productivity and a single worker can do now versus what they could do in the thirties and the forties and the fifties and the sixties. It's, it's exponential. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not going to change. Right. The speed of the workplace and the tempo of the workplace have increased and we cannot then use old techniques to train when the tempo has increased. 
Oh my gosh. That makes so much sense. Yes. Okay. All right. Those are three huge takeaways today. I really appreciate those. And uh, do you have any, do you have any final thoughts? Do you have anything else that you're? Yeah, I just, I keep hitting on this one thing, but Steve Covey has a book out. It's called the speed of trust. And he, he talks about trust as a commodity. Okay. And he talks about the, the fact that truck, trust affects the outcome of productivity in two ways. Hmm. If you have high trust, you'll have high speed and low cost, which is called a trust dividend. Okay. Okay. And on the other hand, if you have low trust, then you have low speed and high cost, which is a trust tax Okay. okay. on a company. So it is not a waste of time to build trust among your people and do you mean i'll get super tactical here do you mean is that referring to the way the the way that the boots on the ground the way that employees commingle the chemistry out there the way that they trust each other is there really trust as my supervisor really have my best intention yes forefront so that level of trust when you're saying that when that is there, when you feel that you're cared about and you are caring about everyone else that you're working alongside, then productivity is, is just there. It's a byproduct of trust. Hemingway said the best way to learn if you can trust somebody is to trust them. Okay. Okay. Now, I, my little saying has always been that even a dog knows the difference between being kicked and being stumbled over. And as management, we made it need to apologize when we, when we stumble over somebody or stumble over their feelings or thoughts or denigrate their opinions. Mm-hmm. But we need to make sure we're not kicking anybody. Now, the, the speed of trust, is, trust is more contagious than COVID. Wow. When you are trusting your people. Now, if you have, if you have untrustworthy people, you got to deal with it. That's a different issue. That's a different issue. But when you but have- let's talk about the trustworthy employees mm-hmm. to trust them with this kind of responsibility for training one another, for being engaged is, is a high level of respect mm-hmm. and nothing's going to make them feel like, Hey, my, my supervisor cares about me than being trusted. Mm-hmm. So we've got to get over this idea of of the punch clock issues and the areas in which, uh, you know, we can't, we don't cope as well with, with the workers. Yeah. Yeah. Last, last thing I'll, I'll leave you with is, is something that a guy named uh, John Boyd pointed out and it's called, and many people may be familiar with this. It's called the OODA loop. Hmm. The, The OODA loop is where you observe what's going on. You orient yourself, you decide, and you act. Okay. Now, this has been used in management for a long time, but the work, the, the, I keep talking about pushing these decision-making processes down to the workers. Right. For them to learn how to observe what's going on before they take a step into the field, whatever right. it is, right. to observe what's, being, what's going on and to be able to articulate it. Now, we usually have them articulate it by writing it down. You know, we ha- used to have those little cards and what do you observe and so forth. Well, yes. that's what a camera can do now. So their observations are important. Then their orientation, what should I do about this? What is, yeah, I've made the observation. Well, now, now what? Okay. 
Yeah. And then the decide is as a result, do I, do I call a, a stop work or slow it down? Hold on a minute. What do I do about this? And then lastly is to act on it. So this OODA loop is continuously going forward. So between Stephen Covey's The Speed of Trust and John Boyd's OODA loop, you've got a system by which you can confidently move the training into the workforce more and embed it. So it's not just something they endure for four to eight hours and then they get to go back to work. I love that. I love that. There are so many golden nuggets in this show today. I can't, I'm going to, I'll be re-listening to this episode several times because John, you've given us so many takeaways today. Um, to shift, I love the idea to shift your mindset of not just training on the subject itself, but to but to take that a step further and to really empower your employees and to pass on ownership and authority and to and to empower your your employees to make the decisions and to train their coworkers that they're working alongside, not just having that responsibility as a safety trainer or a safety director. So I love that philosophy. I love the idea of taking our training to the next level by embracing technology. So again, amazing, amazing, amazing information. Thank you you. so much for your time today. Thank you everyone for listening. And if if you're listening and if you have questions about this, uh, John, what are you talking about? QR codes, how do I get started? What camera again? Send us a message and I will pass those along to John. (laughs) And uh, he is... We'll be happy to do it. Whatever we can do to help you be more effective in the in the process and in the training, I'd be happy to do it. But like I say, the, the cool thing is that this stuff is now accessible to us. And it used to be Hollywood stuff. Yes. And as, as you know, Hollywood is running scared of Netflix and YouTube mm-hmm. because uh, they can see that no longer do you have to own, have millions to do the kind of effective work that we can now do. Thank you, Apollonia. It's a pleasure being with you. And I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the True Safety Podcast with Apollonia Rockwell. If you are looking to save time and money with your safety program this year, we'd love to hear from you. Head to truesafetyservices.com slash podcast to schedule a free call with our team where we will help you identify the biggest opportunities for growth in your company and safety program. And we'll connect you with the right resources to help you grow. Again, that is truesafetyservices.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you know anyone who needs to hear this episode today, click the share button and send them this episode.